You should write about naysayers because they're always trying to take you. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, this is our third book idea, right? Yeah. No, well, but they'll be like, so, something could have happened to you. You could have been yeah. killed. I'm like, yeah. okay, we're well, using an example of what, how nothing happened to me as, right. a, as an example of why I shouldn't do something. Yeah. Season 5 debut of Deviate with Rolf Potts. This new season will feature travel conversations with people I quote in my new book, The Vagabond's Way, which will debut in bookstores and be available as an audiobook and ebook on October 4th. I quote hundreds of thinkers in the new book, from poets and travel writers to artists and philosophers to essayists and anthropologists and spiritual thinkers from around the world. One of the people I quote in the book is today's guest, comedian Ari Shafir, who's been a frequent guest on this podcast. Ari's quote in The Vagabond's Way is about what happens when you get lost on the road and how being lost is a great way to find what you didn't know you were looking for. Ari was a student in the Paris writing workshops I teach in France each summer, and our interview took place in person at the city's Luxembourg Garden. We actually talk about the craft of travel writing and how it differs from the craft of stand-up comedy, and how telling a story about, say, an annoying travel companion in Thailand is a different task on the written page than it is on stage in front of a live audience. Ari talks about the craft of comedy quite a bit and how veteran comedians like Joe Rogan taught him how to deal with things like responding to hecklers on stage. Ari talks about naysayers and how listening to the naysayers can limit you, not just as a comedian, but as a person who dreams about travel. Ari talks about the role loneliness plays in travel and how loneliness can compel even introverted people to get out and make themselves vulnerable to new places. As usual, when Ari and I talk, our conversation is more of a meandering chat than a bullet point driven interview. We start by talking about how the experience of travel changes over time as you age and how your original journeys as a novice dirtbag traveler are often the ones you remember the most fondly. Let's listen in. As a a traveler, we were just talking before we started recording about how you always sort of miss your first years, your dirtbag years. You really do. Yeah. And so even though, like now, I'm staying in much nicer places and eating much nicer food, now that I'm in my 50s, the dirtbag days in my 20s will be special even though they were uncomfortable and, you know, I was always yeah. sunburned and hungry. And actually, I didn't come to Europe much because Europe was way more expensive than it's Asia. It's just too expensive. Yeah. That's, I think that's why everybody's like, nah. Next week, I'm going to Norway for the first time ever because my wife has family there. Very expensive. I, I've never been there because when I was a dirtbag backpacker, it's like $15 for a beer? I could, I could live for a couple of days in Thailand on $15. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'll take the time. You keep the money, I'll take the time. The best is when you go, when you have a little bit of money and you go to one of these countries, but it's still like you don't want to spend. And, uh-huh. and like in Australia, Iceland, whatever, the, the dollar to, to their ratio is... Um, um, not that much, I'm trying to slightly record us. Right. Um, is not that, like Australia, it's like 110 to one. <laughs> so you're like, ah, it's yeah. play money. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. dude, it's just blew through $100. Well, the euro is becoming like this too. Like the, the euro has devalued so much that it's almost play money by comparison. Yeah. So it's not a bad summer to be here. But yeah, as an adult, like my wife knows all this stuff about Europe because she went to drama school here and she was in Berlin for a while. She's never set foot in Asia. I cut my teeth in Asia because you could travel for a month in, in India than, than you could afford for a month in Paris. Yeah. Not, not a month, a year in India for, for a month in Paris is that, again, same river twice, now that I'm an older guy with more money, now I can finally enjoy- Go to Norway. I can finally go to Norway. Yeah, go to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, no, I can eat out. Well, we were, somebody was filming us a second ago, I don't know. If, I think they looked us up afterwards. Oh, really? I think so. Really? Yeah. I think we, they were looking at that and looking back at it, like looking at their phone. So they were fact checking. Yeah. Oh, maybe they were. I have a copy of my book in my lap. And so maybe, maybe that's a were, good clue. Maybe they were uh, trying to figure out what was going on here. Yeah. We we recorded for your podcast a week ago in a different part of the Luxembourg Gardens, and there was some dude that just stood around for a long time. You just want to inspect. Like, what is this? Yeah. What are they filming? Well, like you have like nice, sophisticated microphones. I have, you know, sort of these. This should be more hidden. We should have gotten less attention with these than mine. That's true. Maybe it's the book on my knee, which I should probably pivot to. I bet they think I'm the I'm the author of that book. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying to look at it from their point of view. (laughs) I brought it. Uh huh. And they're here. Oh yeah. (laughs) 
Actually, yeah, I looked up this guy. He doesn't he doesn't look like the author of the Vagabond's Way. They, they were sort of behind me, so. I got my sweet fresh mustache too now, so people are like true. I got one I got one like Ari as I was biking home and I turned and then he goes, uh <laughs> like so, so you, you've been recognized one half time in Paris. Yeah, and another one, I saw a comedy club and I looked okay. in just to see what it was like. Uh -huh. And then I like walked on and then and then I heard, was that Ari Shafir? But that's a specific, I'm and famous at comedy clubs. English? Yeah, or, okay. I think it was an English speaking comedy club. Yeah. Me and Zane went to a French one yesterday, just buy one. Yeah. And I'd be like, you know, if this was like Kansas, I could go, or even London, and I could go, yourself. hey, I'm an American comedian, do you mind if I just take a look at the theater? Yeah. But I'm like, I don't know to say, Oh, je suis. That's it. That's as far as I can get. <laughs> you can just use your swagger and, and 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 walk in. But so you've been here a week. Been here a little over a week. Ten days, eleven days. Ten days. Yeah, I'm glad I got here before. Right. Yeah. Because I knew it. I got some pressure or not, but I knew it. But I'm like, I need to. I don't know. There's a verb for it. Lonelify up. Um, so I can be more open to, to friendships. Lonelify up. So explain what that means. I need like, to feel lonely. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a day alone, especially in New York City, is right. like thank God. Right. Yeah. You know, two, three days. At some point, my introverted uh, battery will be filled. Right. And then I just get lonely, and then I'm willing to like meet people. So you did that. You drained your you you drained your social battery. Uh huh. And then how's it been? I, it's I, been obviously great. you've been drained my social battery right into some super interesting people. Yeah, yeah. So travelers, I mean, it's like I forgot the advice I got once. Like anything you do while you're traveling, you'll be doing anything you sign up for, is other people that are interested in that exact thing. Yeah. It's not just randoms. Yeah. It's someone else who wants to fucking clean boats in Venice. Right. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you already have a bunch in common. Yeah. And then this was the same thing. Same thing with your uh, with your um, oh, the su souvenir book. I, I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. For the class, but it's such cool people. I came home so invigorated from that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was talking about, we, I had an event for the release of my book, Souvenir, and then we had a party afterwards, and just full of travelers. Like, yeah. everybody at the open mic, which Ari headlined, was talking about travel for hours afterwards. We and went back to your, the place you were staying afterwards, yeah, yeah. and it was like this cool after party, with just some, like, liquor. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the, Cuba, about whatever. I, I, I think it's great common ground. Yeah, um, I, I, I felt like what the Parisian, like, philosophers would have felt like. Cool academic people talking about interesting things. It, it's interesting um, that you bring that up because what, for me that is New York. I go there and I hang out with my travel friends. For you, you have a different crowd. You have your comedy yeah. friends and, and you know your, your social friends. And so being in that party, it didn't occur to me until you told me afterwards that you just really liked the conversations because everybody was well-traveled and everybody travels sort of in that open-ended, vagabonding way. And it was yeah. fun for you. And then this week, you were part of a writing class here in Paris. And so it was like age 22 to 70. Yeah. Um, you know how people were jealous of me when I told them what I was doing? Really? They're like, we're going to Paris. They go, what are you going to Paris for? I'm like, taking a writing class. Like, they're like, what? I mean, these are comedians, producers, directors. And they're like, that's so fucking cool. Really? And I'm like, yeah, it is cool. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> no, like, like every night I would go home um, after teaching and I would look at our WhatsApp group. And you guys were up until the wee hours, like yeah. age 22 to age 70. Our cohort yeah. of 12. 12 people yeah. who came here to do travel writing. But yeah, it's all fun. It's, all, it's just interesting talking to these people. Yeah. No, it's good to hear, you know, that in comparative terms, you were, you were, you were a public figure of sorts. You, know, you, you had a career that makes you public. So part of me thought, well, is, is Ari going to be bored or self-conscious around people who I, are... I was worried a little bit, but mm -hmm. it was no one really knew me. Uh -huh. At most, they had heard of me as a frequent guest on, on your podcast. podcast. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm the second most famous person here. <laughs> it's the one one place where I'm a filter for your celebrity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So you've enjoyed it, teaching it? I did, yeah. Oh, no, it, it's just fun to see the, the chemistry. It's fun to be a part of it. Fun to be the figurehead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have a very... I'm a writer, so I sit in my room and write books and articles. You're a comedian, you're on a stage. So teaching is sort of the in-between place for me, where I'm sort of the center of attention. Um, oh, I'm right. sort of performing my lessons. I'm, I'm, I'm a descendant of teachers, and so I take it seriously. Um, and so... You do a good job of having, I'm realizing now, of not having a shtick. Okay. Huh. Um, I, I can see people, once they've already said something a certain way a certain time. My friend Rachel wrote, um, she's a writer. Mm -hmm. She wrote the book that Mean Girls was based on. Oh, yeah, you mentioned her. Yeah, she's just the, probably the smartest person from my, from my class mm -hmm. uh, in high school. And, um, 
and uh, she, yeah, she's like, talks to me about stand-up. She goes, so I do these public speeches. I'm like, so when you have a thing that like works as a joke, you like repeat that, right? I'm like, yeah. She goes, yeah, I have something like I can go to a few times. But how do you not, I'm like, just make it sound fresh. <laughs> just make it sound like you're just coming up with it. It's okay to repeat. Right. But a lot of people just whip through it. And yeah. it's uninteresting to hear. I have some stuff, I haven't taught in three years. There's some stuff I, I, I redo, but I, I, in the classroom, I sort of try to take the energy and interest of the class and sort of steer it a little bit, um, which I think is an old, like they said that when, when Obama was coming up in politics and he would give this speech, I forget what it is, the hope and change speech or whatever, everybody was excited about it. And people who'd known him for five years are like, yeah, I've heard that speech 30 wow, times. Yeah, you know? but he says, it, he says it well. Well, then I have a copy of my new book in my lap. We had to fact check everything. It was so easy to quote like Obama or Thich Nhat Hanh, who are basically in the old preacher form, where you give a sermon and it's not the same every time. So basically, words that are printed on a page are copyrighted and you, you need permission, especially poems, to put them in another book. Whereas if they're said aloud, oh, it's less of a thing. So I could quote, I could quote, I could listen to a, several Obama speeches and, and wait until it was quoted the way that I liked it, you know. Or a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Buddhist, um, yeah, interesting. Minister, he would he would rephrase the same idea several times, and so I had a lot to choose from. Basically, in the new book, each page is is one theme, and so it has to fit on one page, you know. So, yeah. if Obama was wordy in a, in a given speech, or if Thich Nhat Hanh was was super wordy in a sermon, I couldn't put that on the page of the book. I would find a shorter version. Um, and so, it's just, well, I guess it's the same in comedy, and and but then in teaching, you know, you sort of there's a principle you want to teach, but I guess maybe if you're a good teacher, you can. You don't say it the same goddamn time every time. Yeah. Um, but it, it felt like the week went well. People seemed to enjoy themselves. And, yeah, um, everybody loved it. Well, did you get any useful advice out of the workshop? So much. Okay. What First is, of all, I got a lot of advice. It's been since college that any workshops. Okay. okay. And I forgot how helpful they are. Right. And workshops, just so my listeners know, it's when you, everybody reads the story and then the author has to be quiet while they discuss the essay in the form of a book club. Yeah. And if the ideas aren't communicated on the page, then the author can't, come in and clarify it. You're, you're sort of beholden to what's on the page. So Screenwriting workshop, the author did not have to be quiet, and it was oh. trouble. Okay, huh. Constant defense. Yeah, no, I, I don't understand why they did that, because part of the gift of the workshop is that you hear people talking about your book. And one thing, everybody was so friendly and, and, and um, generous this week that they were sort of sti spitballing, sort of trying to figure out... Spitballing if, was if, the fun part of it. In comedy, you don't want somebody giving you, which happens a lot, giving you a joke, giving you a tagline. Like, right. hey, I thought of a joke for that. That's fine, that's nice, you didn't write it. But they, if they give you an angle, it's so much more helpful. Yeah. So that it's like, hey, have you ever been back there? Has it changed? Go right, you know? Well, this is interesting, because your essay was about a trek from a sort of a remote hostel in northern Thailand with this woman, let's call her an influencer, from a certain part of the world, this Czech model who was always stopping the tour to take pictures of herself. Long story short, eventually she got bit by a monkey. She gets come up and, <laughs> and by the time that happened, nobody had any sympathy left for her. And so people liked it, but we, then, all, there were lots of ideas, a lot of spitballing about what could have happened versus what really happened, what was on the page versus what it may have been in real life. So mm -hmm. what kind of ideas did you get from that? Well, so the, a, a, a problem I had is when I tell it on stage, people already like me. They already know me. Yeah. I'm in front of them. Right. And I can accentuate with emotion, my face, my arms, right. um, roll my eyes. Um, but it's like how much of this will happen. I, I remember I had a heckler once early on. Cool thing about being a comedian is you have access to the top level people in your field almost immediately. Really? Yeah. Um, so so the, the, the comedy community is just such that if, if you're on stage somewhere, then you have a has to talk yeah, to Yeah, I've been famous. on shows with Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock and, right. and Louis C.K. and Joe huh. Rogan and just like all these like great comics. Right. The, and the best current comedians. And that's pretty early access. Yeah. Okay. They're on later, but then they're on at the prime time. That's really interesting. Yeah, and then you see the same faces after a while and almost all of them break down their barriers. It's like mm -hmm. I've seen, I get it, you're a comic. We come from the same broke lineage. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, if it's not like, oh my God, can I meet you? It's, it's not that. It's like, hey, how do you get your first like callback hmm. and then and then it gives them a chance to actually think about it if they have time if they're not in a rush well this is this is craft right craft. They, you, yeah. basically you come in as an amateur comedian you're with they're with a famous comedian and maybe it's almost an obligation that they're that they can say yeah this is the craft of comedy am, am yeah. i right that yeah you, yeah you, you and then it's a, a, a good excuse to think out loud uh -huh. about your stuff right um and i remember having a problem with a the heckler these these 
it was at the comedy store and, and these like early in your career mm -hmm, having some a good set and these like seven or eight like italian i mean americans but you know the italian ties backwards baseball cap they come in they all sit in the side and they're they're like they're trying to be the center of attention right i as soon as i saw them i was like i hate them i know exactly who they are they're not my type of person and then they they said something and i just eviscerated them i just went in hard you just you just shut them down instinctively like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and i lost the crowd hard. oh really yeah. really and then I couldn't figure it out. And Joe Rogan gave me some great advice. Okay. Before he had a podcast, I think he, before he even had Fear Factor, he was just like, okay. he was just like a, a, a level headliner, a yeah. really strong comic. Uh -huh. And uh, he was like, okay, so you are very observant. That's one of the reasons you're doing this. Mm -hmm. He goes, and you were looking at the crowd. The crowd is less observant looking at you. Right. So they didn't see those people come in. They don't immediately know who they are, even if they were looking at them. So they just saw you go, fuck fuck you, you piece of shit, to some <laughs> random dude, to one of them. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. And he goes, you gotta let them dig a hole for themselves. Ooh. If you let them keep disrupting the show enough where people start looking over there annoyed, he goes, now, all you gotta do is say, shut up. And everyone will be like, yeah. You don't have to be witty, you know? They hate them. Yeah. And so it's a craft of how they're to do that. They're on your side. Most people are on your side, right. so. Exactly. Yeah. What was different on the So page? what was different is I had to know, how, how do I get this, I needed to have the reader hate her. The Czech model who was... The Czech model. Influencer who kept yeah. stopping the tour to take pictures. She was annoying. And I mean, she was gorgeous. Right. She was... I've seen it a few times in, in being in L.A., in Hollywood, or in, like, New York with his models, where you just can't think straight when you see someone like that. Right. Especially if you're a dude, and a younger dude. I remember being a younger dude who yeah. was very subject to beauty in that way. Yeah, it's not even like she's cute. It's... it's, it's that doesn't make sense. It's it's perfection and like what uh, anyway. And you're in the jungle with her and yeah. she's slowing you way she's down. She's annoying. So we hated her. She was slowing us down and this amazing thing happened. But like we we cared a little bit, but then we weren't gonna help her in her in her need because we hated her and she brought it on herself. Mm -hmm. um, and so like we had one feedback uh, uh, in this group was like I would have helped her, and I'm like okay well I I was fine. That one I took more as a critique of me and my behavior rather than okay. my writing. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, that was the only one I wanted to respond to. I'm like, you wouldn't have, bro. Yeah. You wouldn't have, because yeah. no one else did. You're not better than 10 people there. Right. Um, it's like those people in 9-11, like, if I was on that plane, shit would have gone different. Right, yeah. Would, oh, really? Right. Oh, yeah, you would have been braver than 300 people you've never met. Right. Like. It's an easy position to be you in. You knew where it ended up. They didn't. Yeah. Um, so, but, but on the page, at least one guy in the workshop was 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 sympathetic enough to yeah. this person as written by you mm -hmm. that he's like, well, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Because by the end of the story, everybody sort of abandons her with her with, with her monkey wound. Yeah, she's got great rabies shots. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's just gonna. And, and she's lost all yeah. sympathy from everyone. But it was good to be like, okay, I need to show that that it was safe. Right. So Zylea, uh, one night, me, uh, her, and um, and myself, her, and oh, myself was last, or whatever. Um, and Zane were walking north, and they were about to cut over. We saw this, like, are people come like, get let out of an opera house? Like, what is that? It's pretty gory. We we're about to cut over. Like, well, let's go one street more and then walk over. And there was this tango, this oh, tango right. group. Yeah. Yeah. It was gorgeous. Right. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was just, it was just such a beautiful scene yeah. in front of this beautiful opera house. And like, there's a lot of those moments in Paris. Yeah. People, tango is a very beautiful dance, and yeah, they do it well. Damn. And um, Zylea, she had hit her wall. Um, not of that, but she was going home to go to sleep. Right. Fair, we've all been there. Yeah. But me and Zane had not. Um, and so she's like, hey guys, I gotta get out of here. And there was a moment where Zane, you know, a good country guy, was like, oh, should we watch, walk you home? And, and Zylea's like, no, I'm fine. She is, she's in a safe city. Sure. She's a traveler. She walked home yesterday alone. She knows what she's doing. But still as men, you feel like, should I walk you, should I walk yeah. you home? But we know there is no danger here. Now, if we're in the south side of Chicago, it's like, no, 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 you're not walking home alone. Let's all go together. This thing in Thailand was that. It was safe. Right. There's not really any history of people she getting robbed there. She wasn't being abandoned to yeah. near death. She was just going to miss dinner. Right, yeah. Um, it was going to be annoying, but yeah. all we would have done is keep her company. Yeah. Um, so I need to put that in a little more, that there was mm -hmm. no danger, mm -hmm. that the animals were in the jungle for the most part, and when we got attacked, it was because we were encroaching on them. Right. Um, I need to say a little more that this dirt road, that the car couldn't go down. I just need to verbalize it more. Tight dirt road, 
So um, it's like world building on the page. It's like yeah. you're creating this place and what's important. Yeah. There's a million things you could have mentioned, mm -hmm. but the ones you mention on the page are the ones that will create the world in the reader's mind. Yeah, and exposition is the most boring thing. Oh my God, yeah. So how do you flower up? This is a problem I have with my stories on stage. How do you punch up the exposition? Because right. um, if you get them laughing through the exposition, then it's fine. It's fun. And I'm looking at where the main meat happens is her getting attacked by a, by a giant monkey. And I'm like, all right, that's four pages into a six-page story. I'm like, that's late. Yeah. Um, so I've got to make jokes about while I get everyone to hate her and I set up the scene, set up the world. Right. I can't just be a chick got attacked by a monkey. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where? What? Who? What, what monkey? So, I didn't put, I didn't accentuate that the, there were women there. Yeah. And so it seemed... So it could like, seem sexist yeah. if, if it's just how much you came to despise this, this model woman. woman. Yeah, yeah, that is the world we're living in. And yeah. even though I'm not thinking about it like yeah. that, the reader would be. And as right. they were saying it, I was already... A, it was already a nagging thought in my head, and yeah. I'm like, I'm really glad you guys said that. Yeah. Because now I know. Yeah. I have to talk about another female character and maybe mention another. If the only female in the story is super annoying and... Then, then maybe I just hate women. Right. And so the showing maybe a, a minor character, a woman, reacting with even more irritation, for example. Then we also mentioned bring in the dude like sort of the guy who wants uh -huh. to take all the pictures too. You yeah. Know, show the nebbishy guy who just wants to stay on her good side and he's also slowing you down because he's always enabling her to take the pictures. Yeah, so. so that was a creative license I took mm -hmm. where I said she gave it to any one of many men because I feel like, I felt like it wasn't just truthful. It was mm -hmm. one dude from Calgary right. who was her videographer okay. who he, she didn't know beforehand. Right. Um, um, I feel like in her life, she just keeps, she finds these guy, that guy from Calgary in other situations. Right. And just like here, and we're just helpless to say no. Right. So we're like, yeah, you're too hot to say no to, I don't. Again, to use that overused word, it's her privilege. Like, right. it doesn't even occur to her that there wouldn't yeah. be one of those guys. Yeah. And, yeah, so she hands the camera and she does what she's there to do, which yeah. is slow the group down take, and take, do her not hair care flip, surprise, else. Yeah. surprise face. I'm also glad somebody said this. I thought it might be a a, a, par a wasted paragraph, mm -hmm. where it was like the moment when a hot woman realizes her power is no longer powerful. Yeah. Um, it, is an interesting moment. You mm -hmm. see someone lose their power. In a way, it sort of told people what the story was about, you know, that, that, that it sort of gave crystalline form to what, what had been happening the whole time, whereas this woman She's taking advantage wasn't of even looks. thinking about it because her whole life she's been the beautiful person in the room yeah. who can slow the group down because she's the important, beautiful person. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly nobody wanted to walk to the hospital with her because they were done. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're sitting here with a copy of my book. In my new book, The Vagabond's Way in My Lap, it quotes Ari in a chapter. I gave him a, a book, you know, like a month ago. He hasn't gotten to advanced the part. Advanced copy, yeah. <laughs> he hasn't gotten to the part. I gave him an advanced copy of the book and he has not yet read to the part that he's in. So I'm gonna, in real time, show him where he is, but I know what chapters he's in, and this is not completely separate from what we're talking about right now. Are you ready to hear your... Uh, I am. I'm, I'm gonna read the whole chapter. Okay. Uh, Ari has been told that he that he's quoted in a chapter, and uh, but he doesn't know how and where in that chapter. So um, this is from my new book, um, out October 4th. And October 4th, okay. It's from the chapter on June 3rd. It's the June 3rd chapter in my book, which is out October 4th. It's a day, it's a day, it's not even do this on this day. It's just like, it's just like, it could be, it could be 200 pieces of travel advice. Exactly. It's yeah. 366 just because like, well, that fits to a year. Well, one of the books I modeled this on was Ross Gay's Book of Delights. Have you heard of this? Uh -uh. It's like 100 chapters and they're short, but they're meant to be read in small chunks, not all at once. Same with this, but it's, there's one 101 stupid jokes, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the same principle. <clears throat> I mean, there's a thing at which, oh, this makes a good gift book because there's one page for each day of the year. Give it for Christmas. Yeah. But in a way, it's, it's not about what day of the year it is that you're reading. It's about, there's, there's just these short self-contained meditations or reflections on, on travel that are meant to be read in a short attention span way. You know, yeah. you, you, you change which the page. I will the give it the stoner stamp of approval for that, for a thousand percent. There is no getting to the end of it. You're, you're, you're one, you, you always, it's, it's, it's great for the shitter. It's great for, for the planes. It's, That's going to be on the cover now. Yeah. Of, of the paperback <laughs> it's great for edition. the shitter. It's Those guys looked you up, by the way. What's that? Those guys looked you up. 
Oh, did they? I saw them another on their phone. Set. It was you in front of a microphone. A another set. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we're sitting in, in Luxembourg Gardens, and I'm, I have a copy of my book, which has my name on it. And so people are Googling us to figure out what the, who the hell we are and why, <laughs> why we're talking, which is nice. Um, but yeah, my new book has a different theme every day. Um, it's, it's short meditations on travel. And actually, I, I talked with my uh, marketing PR team. The good for stoners thing didn't come up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to them Monday and say the stoner demographic. Is I, I was doing interviews, get on high times. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, so June 2nd is about seeing your own culture from out, the outside. Uh, June 4th is about how the past was grand, but travel plays out in the here and now. Just the idea that we travel to look at moments of history, but actually going to the cathedral, if it smells like dog piss or hobo piss, well, that's a part of the story of the cathedral, too, despite how it was when it was written. But the chapter that I'm going to read to you, Ari, is called Sometimes Deviations Can Be As Appealing As Plans. The epigram is uh, by Don George, actually. He's a mentor of mine. He was my first editor at Salon.com. He's an essay from 2010 called On Getting Lost. He says, when you get lost, when you essentially go in the opposite direction from the way you should, all kinds of marvelous and illuminating adventures can ensue. True. So here's the chapter itself. And actually, it ties into something you just talked with Zane about. It's about Chef Shawin, or at least the desire to go to Chef Shawin. When I arrived in Morocco from Spain some years ago, my initial plan upon disembarking the ferry was to head for Chef Shawin, a picturesque backpacker haunt in the Rift Mountains. As it happened, I pronounced the town's name in the two-syllable Anglophone manner. Shawin? Chef Chuan. Oh, okay. Instead of the more accurate French translation, Chef Shawin. Thus, out of symbol linguistic misunderstanding, my taxi driver took me to a completely different two-syllable town, Tetuan. <laughs> Exploring the streets of one Moroccan city using a map for a different one is an interesting exercise in both optimism and credulity. I must have wandered lost among the low, cube-light white houses of Tetuan for more than an hour before I realized my mistake. As accidental discoveries go, my timing couldn't have been better since the farmers from the surrounding mountains were taking advantage of a monthly tax break for ethnic Berber vendors. Tetuan's narrow market alleyways were jammed with women in colorful costumes selling little piles of spices and onions and goat meat. I meandered through Tetuan's market for the better part of a day, strangely thrilled to be there. I later made it to Chef Shawan, but its lovely blue alleyways and peaceful traveler's tea houses didn't compare with the heady and chaotic buzz I felt like while accidentally wandering the market alleyways of Tetuan. Facts. As the comedian Ari Shafir pointed out in a 2017 interview, travelers need not worry about ending up in the wrong place by mistake. You're already where you're supposed to be, which is somewhere in this interesting new place, he said. There's no getting lost because you're already there. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, right, I stand then. by that. <laughs> I stand by that quote. I think that went That's back to great. the first time I was on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, and just the idea of lostness and how being open to getting lost as, as opposed to knowing your way. And I loved sort of the pithy essence of that quote, which you're already there. You're there. Right? You're there, dude. What are you talking about? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I, like if you were headed, I mean, yeah, you didn't even know what the fuck you're headed to anyway. It wasn't like your life's goal was to go to Chef Shawan. You heard about it a fucking week before. You're exactly right in that, in that you, as travelers, traveler, travel is this constant exercise in ignorance, that you literally don't know anything about the place you're in, except sort of what you read about or your inspiration for being there. Um, in this particular situation, no, I'd, I'd gone on social media and asked a few people, where do I go in Morocco? I know Egypt, I don't know Morocco. And they said, try Chef Shawan. And of course, travelers love Chef yeah. Shawan because it's cool. Tetuan is, is sort of this greasy... And that's where they got Tatooine. Was, oh, yeah, Tat Tatooine. No, well, that's, that's from a place called Tatooine, actually. Oh, okay. It's different from Tetuan, but it's probably in the same neck of the woods. But, like, if they had told you, like, hey, there's this place where no travelers go, this crazy fucking cool market, and you yeah. get everything, and by the way, you'll be alone there. Yeah. You'd be like, sweet, thanks for telling me. Yeah. I'll head there. Yeah, yeah. And that's... That I mean, uh, the getting lost was got you to this, the best place. Getting lost, actually, exploring well, They're all the best place. Well, well, that's it. But you have to be open to it, right? Yeah. You can't. And one disadvantage of the Chef Chuan is you might go and it's like, oh, this isn't as cool as Tatooine or wh wherever you're supposed to be. Whereas being completely lost in this pla place called Tetuan, which was not Chef Chawin, and just wandering around and thinking. That's so funny. You pronounce it wrong. I don't know. Where, and, and the taxi driver just drove us there. And, and, and it's like, oh, this is a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. <laughs> and then, then we get there and, and I'm just wandering around and it's like, 
what is going on? But you're right. Had that been described to me as, oh, here's a town, the market day is, the Berber vendors come on Sunday, and and, um, and it's you, great. It there's no other travelers there, and you sort of have the city as as an American of the city to your place yourself. But by the way, just wander around. Don't don't try and go to a specific landmark. Just walk through the streets and see what happens. Um, instead. I thought I was in Chef Shawin, and it was an hour or more before I realized I wasn't, and then I just went with it. Yeah, I just went with it's it. great. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're going to a wedding, and you're like, I'm the best man, I have to be there. <laughs> right, that's right. like, okay, you do need to be there. Yeah. But like, that's almost always it's not that. On travel, it's almost always not that. Right, and actually, while you were talking, I was thinking of this day, I was wandering random around Rishikesh, yeah. and I got invited to an Indian wedding. Not because I was the best man, but because I was, Basically, I was a gringo, I was a farong, I was a white guy yeah. wandering in a neighborhood where the tourists don't go, and they looked out the window and it's like, this guy needs to come to our wedding, you know? Wow. It's like, we have our family here, our friends are here, here's a random six foot three American, he needs to be at our wedding. And so I went to their wedding and it was awesome, but wow. it would not have happened as I, were I not lost in Rishikesh. So it's one thing to be the best man at a wedding, I think getting invited to a <laughs> wedding is, way is not gonna happen here, in, nah. which is in, beautiful Luxembourg gardens, but Parisians in this part of Paris see a, a thousand tourists a day, right? I think it's not until you're lost and really trying to figure out what's going on that you are interacting with the city as it sees itself. And I, I mention this because the class was in the first arrondissement, usually I'm in the fifth. I don't know the first. I was lost all the time. Wow. My wife, whose name is Kiki, kept saying, <laughs> you don't know where you're going, do you? And here's like this city that supposedly I'm showing her. And you're supposed her, to know this. And, yeah. she's the, and I'm the one who doesn't know where we are. But that's because I got out of my zone of familiarity and pretty soon I was seeing Paris for what it was. You know what's interesting is like talking to another traveler. Um, you just keep feeding people memories. Oh, yeah. that reminds me of the time I did this. Oh, that reminds me of the time yeah. I did this. When you said gringo or farong, yeah. you could do a thing on what the other is in all these different places. Yeah. Malai in Indonesia. Is uh, it Malai? Yeah. yeah. I mean, which just means white. And the kids will come out okay. and just pretty much yell, white, white, <laughs> as they point at you. And they're, they're so into it. Uh, the same thing happened in, with farong with me in Thailand is that I thought it was just sort of this semi-insulting thing that they would say about people. And then one day there was a grandfather with his little grandbaby who was probably, had probably knew like 10 worlds in the world, words in the world. And I would walk by and he's here, Farang, Farang. It's like he's <laughs> teaching his little 18-month-old <laughs> yeah, how to moment. use this teachable moment. kind of slur, <laughs> what, I, what I thought was a slur against like the white guy in town. No, but it's, yeah, no, that, this, that's the second book we've come up with. One is like, what's the, the shittiest, trashiest liquor Go around the world drinking the worst liquor. Uh-huh. Taking part I call of the, it bathtub the worst. liquor. There's yeah. bathtub liquor in every country. Yeah. Uh, the palm we, thing, but they'll usually serve it in like bottles, like the repurposed, like yeah. you know, water bottles, and they're just like, we'll dip it into the bathtub. We have moonshine in America. That's actually an English term. Bathtub during prohibition, they made liquor in the bathtub. It, and you go and to some parts. It'll of make the world. you blind, but it, yeah. as long as you don't drink too much of it, it's pretty it'll get you there. Well that's one book. Yeah. And the other book is like finding the sort of semi-insulting, but not semi -insulting. completely insulting word you use for foreigners, <laughs> and somehow seeing and being that guy. And, I fought back on it once. I was on a bus from, I think, from Indo to, to East Timor, uh -huh. and and I was sitting in the back, and somebody, and I was just getting sick of it because it is a bit insulting the way they yeah. use it there. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's Malai there. I think maybe Malai was East Timor. I don't know, but whatever it was, let's just say it was Malai. Mm -hmm. um, some lady was like, uh, they were talking, they looked back and they were talking to like Malai. And I was just like, Malai, 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 I hear you guys. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, like, you're just fucking calling me the N-word over and over again. I right. hear what the fuck you're right. saying. Right. <laughs> I was just done with it. Well, that's, I mean, part of travel is being like the weird guy in the room. Uh -huh. you know, like you can, you can be in America as a tall, straight white guy and always be sort of the mean, sort of the average, yeah. you know? Uh, but then you go overseas and it sounds like, really, Falang, again? Again. Gr gringo, right. yeah, sure, dude. Uh, yeah, I'm your gringo. <laughs> can, can you point me to a bathroom, you know? Uh, yeah, no, but I think, I think that when being a Falang or a Malai or a gringo sort of makes some, in their neighborhood, makes their day. Makes their day. It's when you're outside of the tourist zones because it's sort of comical. The kids come out. And they like start pointing. I was in some cemetery, and then they're all like, "What?" And they all, and as I'm leaving my motorbike, I just go like hands up, and I just like a row of high fives, and they're like, "Yeah!" 
best. Kids are the no, best. Kids, you wrote about that in Vagabonding. Kids are the best. Kids are totally the best in a way because kids don't know to be polite. Like, following a mime might be sort of a sort of look down your nose at the outsider word, uh -huh. but kids, it's just like, oh, there's one of them. Oh uh -huh. my God. And you connect language wise on really low level language. Yeah. I taught a kid rock, paper, sure. scissors. All I had to know is, and he didn't know the game. I just yeah, know yeah. the word rock. TC, I don't know for whatever, I forget that. But rock, paper, scissors taught him the game while I'm eating alone, and he's loving it. Yeah, because it's simple, it's easy to learn. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you win. In, in Korea, it's kai bai bo. Kai yeah. bai bo. And um, you're playing with, I mean, their version of a pharaoh. <laughs> you know, you're playing with an outer space alien. And you're like, what? <laughs> he taught me a game. Some alien oh, came right, to my yeah. town, and he fucking taught me this game Some that I can teach the rest that of the school. Looks, that understands nothing we're saying, looks like nobody who's around from here. Suddenly, he's giving us their, his attention. Uh -huh. and he was it, eating fork food with a spoon? That guy's an idiot. <laughs> Suddenly, you're making both people's day, uh -huh. you know, that, that um, the kids, this, somebody this interesting doesn't come into their life, usually. Uh, and then you get to have this somewhat humiliating but sort of super entertaining experience. Yeah. And, and again, keeping in the theme is that until you're lost, until you, you lost, don't right. truly have a Falang Marai yeah, gringo yeah. experience. That, yeah, you know, they're a little bit jaded in the tourist district to people from outside. You're not that special. But suddenly, when you're walking through a neighborhood lost it's in better. Guatemala or it's Myanmar, and people are screaming, Marai, or Falang, you know, right. then it's suddenly it's special. It's, it's better or no worse. At minimum, no worse. Just yeah. different experience. Yeah. I was in the, the, not the hutongs, that's Beijing, but the hutongs of Vietnam of uh, Ho Chi Minh. Okay, I'm not sure what those are called. I think it's I just those tight to... alleyways. Sure. Yeah, I don't know what they're called. Mm -hmm. And just like wandering, and then you like, I'll make a left and a right, and then left and a right does not go back to the same oh direction God. you're going. It goes, it goes somewhere else. They're all like five degrees off. This has happened to me in Paris, actually. Yeah, yeah. On Paris, you see the street corners are five intersections instead yeah. of four, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. And so the whole American Midwestern take a right, a right, and a right. I passed this one, and all the brasseries yeah. look exactly the same. So you're like, fuck. Right. Yeah. We passed this one, I think. Um, but lost, and then seeing a bunch of people doing karaoke outside, drinking and, and like grilling, yeah. And then just like white dude randomly walks by, so like come over. Yeah. So we're seeing a karaoke. They have a karaoke machine. Um, they speak no. One of them speaks a little English. Kids are around. I'm eating their stuff, and they're like, no, no, it's okay. And then eventually we go through a bunch of beers, and I'm like, can I get more? And like, yeah, go get another case. So I went next door. I you know could participate, and it was so fucking cool. Out of that exact thing, I was lost. I was lost and it was about to rain. Yeah. And so um, they're like, come in here. And then it was just, that's what it was. It was the rain coming. And they're like, come in. And then I was just hung with them for hours. Yeah. Th those are cool days. Those yeah. are cool days in travel. I, I talk about an example of this in the book where I was, I was in Myanmar. I was in Pakoku, Myanmar. And I was just wandering around and I heard all this music blasting out of a temple. And I go up to a guy and I try to ask him what's going on. Well, he didn't know what was going on, but he knew that his grandson studied English. So he okay. brought his grandson over. Grandson took me to his English teacher, and then the English teacher's like, well, can you speak to my students? So I spent like half a day speaking, like I was the most exciting guy in English class that month, because there was this big, awkward, sweaty American in the class. And then the class took me to the temple, and it was a play, it was like a festival that I'd heard from outside the temple. And so one question led to a whole day's wow. worth of experience, and then they take me back to the play. And there's puppet shows, and there's comedians, actually. Oh, really? And there's musicians, and there was- Burmese comedians? Burmese comedians. In, in fact, there's a famous Burmese, Burmese comedy troupe. I forget what they're called. They're the Something Brothers. That they they were allowed to make fun of the junta of the of the government. They're in the guidebook. Wow. And so, like on the tourist trail, they actually they're in the Lonely Planet. So the so the government leaves them alone because they sort of take the pressure off that, and they're allowed to be comedians. But these were just I don't know what kind of jokes they were telling. I couldn't understand them. But like there was I talk about this on on book tour sometimes because there was a drag cabaret. This was the year 2001. There was in a little town of like 20,000 Burmese people, there was drag a drag wow. troop, and nobody was, at a time in the US where nobody was used to this at all, especially in a town of, rural town of 20,000, I'm with my students and I'm just like, is this what I think it is? And they're like, yeah, no, it's, it's um, they didn't say men in drag, but basically that's what it was. And they're casual about it on, yeah. a, on a way that we, on a way, more developed place that we're not casual about well, that Well, sexual identity is a different thing there. Katui. The lady boys of Thailand, it was yeah, just like... Katui is, the, is the language for it, and so the, it's actually a culturally sanctioned third gender um, in, wow. in those Culturally parts. sanctioned third gender. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and so, Interesting. and so it was just less, it was, 20 years ago it was less culturally weird 
for Burmese people to see a drag cabaret in a temple because in it's a just temple. Yeah, that's even it, nuttier. I mean, it was the local. It was like the neighborhood temple. It was because it's the biggest edifice. And so of course the entertainment is going to happen there. They don't have a separate auditorium for these sorts of things. All public events go through the temple. Yeah. And oh, so, right. so okay. there was maybe karaoke, there were comedians, there was the drag cabaret. And I remember what song they were lip syncing to Bahama Mama by Boney M. <laughs> so we're Bahama, not, I remember Bahama Mama. <laughs> I apologize I to my audience. I can't sing very well. I'm sure you nailed it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, so it really surprised me just by how chill everybody was. It was just another entertainment on the slate of entertainment in the temple in one night in Myanmar, and I wouldn't have found it had I not been, hey, what's, what's the noise coming from the other side of the wall? And then I get led to a grandson who leads me to an English teacher, and the whole class takes me to the temple. Wow. And this is sort of an extrapolation of, of what we've been talking about, which is being willing to do something different, being curious and lost and open, you know. And I'm sure it's happened to you. You get invited to sports games, you know. You're tall, like a volleyball or basketball or soccer or whatever. Invited to play equivolley in Ecuador. Okay. You're like, you're tall, you must be good at this. Yeah. And I'm playing fucking, I played volleyball in high school. I was yeah. good. Oh, did you? And I'm playing volleyball way to play. And uh -huh. they're like, it's slightly different, dude. First of all, we're playing with a soccer ball. <laughs> and I get a welt, I mean, from the, from here to there, just uh -huh. welted up. And they're like, can you, do you have to stop? It's like, your entire forearm, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then these, like, indigenous people are like, I'll get some cream. And they just were, they just kept shoving it down. And they're like, uh -huh. do you have to stop? I'm like, we're like two points away from finishing. I'm like, no, no, let's go. We're playing for beers. But just being invited. Yeah. And then and then the chick I was with, they got invited with the, with the girls. We're playing soccer. Uh -huh. And there's some seven-month... Amazonian uh, woman, seven months pregnant, just hitting fucking strikes from across the field <laughs> barefoot. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. I, the, the sports is a big one. You must be good. You're from a country that yeah. plays this. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I talk about in my second book, Marco Polo didn't go there. Uh, in the footnotes, I, I talk about being invited to a uh, volleyball game in Cambodia. I'm taller yeah. than everybody by far in Cambodia. Yeah. And I just got my ass handed to me. I was like the yeah. worst ringer. They let me stay in for half a game, and it's like, get out. Know, please leave. Yeah. Because, um, they were, and, they were telling me, you're tall, spike it down. I'm like, I'm white. Right. I can't jump. Right. <laughs> it's not just height. But just, just like, and we're playing in mud. The depth of experience when you do that. And I'm, I, I realize that participating in sports is different from being lost, but it, you all, both require an openness to something that you're not sure about, right? Yeah. If you're being lost, you're trying to figure things out. If you're sitting there and somebody's like, here, dude, come help, come play volleyball for us. Just being able to say yes. Okay. Yeah, because you, you want to go, no, I don't know. Yeah. Just do it. Just. Yeah. And those are the best days. I, I love the pregnant striker. Yeah. I got, I got an exercise for you for class. Okay. Take it or leave it. All right. One person tells a story, and then everyone, as you're listening, whatever that reminds you of, write down topic details of as, as you're going through it. Uh -huh. Then one other person who wants to go next, one of your stories, start telling it. Everyone else, start writing a few things. If you get through it, the whole class, you should each have like 20 possible stories in front of you. I might try that this week. Right, Mary. that could work. Well, it's, it's associative memory. Yeah. And, and for travelers, for I people, can't think of something and like, oh, that reminds me. Where have we bounced? Where in the world have we bounced so far? You know, you were talking about Ecuador. I was talking about Cambodia. To, being to invited me, you get spatially and you get experientially. You were talking about mind. being how streets don't match up with right angles in Vietnam. And I was thinking, God, we're in Paris and they don't either. Yeah, I've been lost so again. much in this city, right? And then brings you to bring lost in general. Then yeah. brings you, uh, yeah. This is good, actually. It, it, structurally, it's more comedy than than uh, than prose because it goes in so many directions, you know. Yeah. But that doesn't need to be a bad thing because it's really. But it's, when you had it, just like take two minutes to just write every story you can think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th this would help you get there. Oh, it's a free write for sure. Yeah. But it would involve maybe going around the circle. Oh, I like it. I'll, I'll have to fine tune it. Yeah. One maybe. time I did that. Some guy brought me into it. In me and some guy was like, I was in a Buddhist temple. I just, you guys want me to teach you about Buddhism? I was like, okay. Yeah. And then he just showed me these things, right. but only because I was overwhelmed by, I got off the bus in Mandalay, and all the cab drivers like, me, me, take me. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't no, no, I'll walk, I'll walk. And there's, I'm 20 minutes away. I'm like, that was a mistake. I should yeah. have taken, yeah. it's an hour and a half to where I'm going. Yeah. Um, but then randomly walking by a temple, and then finding this guy that fully explained what Buddhism meant on real terms to me. See, it is, it's happening now, Ari, because it, it... And I'm someone else is going to be like, my first introduction, but go ahead, what? what? Well, no, I was in a felucca <laughs> in Egypt. Have, have yeah. you been on the feluccas in Egypt? What is that? It's like a boat. Um, it's not the big, rich people tourist boat, but these, it's like a private... It's, 
it's not really like a taxi. It's like a, a sailing boat. They've been on the, 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 the Nile River for thousands of years. They're just a simple one prow um, sailing boat. Yeah. But they sort of made them for backpackers so that you stay the night, you sail uh, you know, a few dozen miles down the Nile, maybe more, and then you sleep on the boat and someone will feed you. Um, and so we went from somewhere, Luxor to some other place further up towards Aswan. Aswan. And then when they let you out of the Fluka, which is where all the Fluka's let off, you know, again, backpackers have their own tourist trail, right? Yeah. And so then all the guys are like, no, no, like they're driving the hard bargain for the taxis. And so me and this German dude, Tom, who's actually the guy who took the picture that is on the cover of Vagabonding, that's a picture oh, cool. of me from like the same week. So <laughs> in if you Egypt, look at, yeah. In, in Egypt. That's great. Anyway, we're like, no, screw it. We're just going to walk. And everybody's like, yeah, you know that there's no place within. <laughs> so we start walking, walking, walking. Pretty soon, like these two Egyptian kids came. They were like teenagers. Their, their dad had had them harvesting the sugar cane or whatever. And they're like, get in. So we jump in this horse cart full of sugar cane. Right. And um, this is interesting. First of all, save the money. Congrats on the Jew level. Not <laughs> right. already. Solid. Yeah, so it worked. Well, it's, this was, it, it occurs to me, this is in Middle Egypt. And so like, Aswan is in the south and Cairo is in the north. And the middle is where the Islamic extremists were um, famously in, this, in the 2000s, right? This was 20 years ago. Well, it's that same principle. These guys hadn't seen a tourist because tourists don't go there. Right. You know, tourists are kept to safer, air, air quote, safer areas. But of course, you know, hospitality is a pillar of Islam and your average Muslim dude doesn't care, you know? He just thinks it's interesting that you're in town. So there are these two teenagers who couldn't be more excited. There's a random German dude and a random Kansas guy wandering <laughs> down the street. Like, the Faluka stand is like two miles away. All the taxis have left and we're, it, we're we're just like, oh my God, did we make the wrong decision? And that's what sparked the memory in my head, right? And then suddenly we're driving, we're, it's us and a cart full of sugar cane. Wow. And we get to the next village and we, you know, are, are taken to the local orange juice pressing stand. And one thing led to another and it was, it was really sort of a super cool day. So you know what the naysayers say? Actually, you should write about naysayers because they're always trying to take you. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, this is our third book idea, right? Yeah. No, well, tra- but they'll be like, so, so what could have happened to you? You could have been yeah. killed. I'm like, yeah. okay, we're well, using an example of what, how nothing happened to me as, right. a, as an example of why I shouldn't do something. <laughs> yeah. You're using the wrong thing. But also, like, the fact that something could have happened to you, I get it. You're, it makes it so much more fun. It adds some danger. What, it also adds tension. If I yeah. tell the story of that, I should say, and Tom and I were stuck on the side of the road. There was terrorism in the most going on. dangerous. Yeah. Well, this was in yeah. '99 or 2000. Three years ago, they had that hot chips at Temple. They shot 57 people there, um, and so you could use the reader's anxiety to put some tension right. in that story. You're talking about how there's naysayers. That, like all the bad reviews Vagabond has ever gotten are from people who are, I, th- I think, I not all done it. But I think people are scared. It's like they don't want permission. They, they're comfortable. Well, I have kids. I can't just run away. I yeah, can't just yeah. walk away. I have a job. I can just tell them. It's you, like, all right, You dude. must be rich because blah, blah, blah. Well, no, actually, I dirtbagged it for a long time. And I, and I, I don't even want to disparage the naysayers too much of Vagabonding because it's just like, just relax, read it, forget about it, read it again, and think about it. Just think about this as a possibility because naysayers are the biggest obstacle to people actually traveling. It's the dumb shit. It's the... Oh, well, they are know. the biggest obstacle. Yeah. Don't tell you can't. Don't do, uh, what? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. don't. Uh, come on, buckle down. It's you like, ahead. well, I hear that they hate us maybe in France. Right. Maybe oh, right. really? Do they hate us in France? And then, then you nag, like, maybe. Yeah. And you get there, you're like, that guy was an idiot. And when I, I, when I was, uh, I got some advice from Louis C.K. I was there. Right. I talked to him after he did his third special in a row. And we were walking in Montreal Comedy Festival. I talked about access to experts. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, you want to go? We're going to do the same show. What year was this? 2000. 15. Okay. He's just starting to hit his peak, maybe 2017, okay. 2016. But you're not a novice comic. You'd... I'm an okay comic. Right. No, actually, it was 2012. 2012. I had so recorded, recorded an album, and that was yeah. it. Okay. And I was like, hey, you know what you're doing this special year? That's unprecedented, right? And you're goes, saying that to him, yeah. yeah. And he broke down why he, he had a show on, on HBO that was maybe going to get picked up and maybe didn't, so he's in limbo. So he's like, fuck it, I'll just write a new special. And he goes, then what I do is I dump all my material after I'm done, and then I start again. And then I'll record a special, start again. And, it, and the first one was scary. The second time, I was like, no, I know how this is going to go. I'm going to get new material. The first time, I didn't think I would. By the third time, I'm like, I know the path. It's going to be upsetting and, and rough, and then I'll get it, and then I'll have a new hour. And, you know, good advice, fun talk. But I was like, yeah, but dude, you have a buyer. You have HBO willing to put on your shit whenever you want. I don't have that. And after about two years of me telling that to myself, and I'm like, man, I'm 
sure come up with a lot of reasons why I'm not taking a fucking top level in his field's advice. Yeah. And then I'm like, fuck it, let me just do it. And I got a small buyer for a thing, and, another, and then my career took off. Because I stopped looking at why I shouldn't do something. Great And I started parallel. looking at like why I should. Great parallel. I'm you saying know? no to a fucking, one, a top 10 of all time person. Yeah. And I'm saying why he doesn't understand. Right. Idiot. What a yeah. fucking idiot I was. No, that's, I think this happens in more than just travel and vocation, especially if you're trying to go your own way, right? Yeah. People are like, oh, it's too expensive. Well, that's because you're buying all this shit as a traveler, you know? I need HBO. Well, that's because you're using this guy who's earned his craft through years, and you're th seeing that as the glass ceiling, when in fact, just do your own way. Yeah, well, that guy went to college because his parents paid for it. Well, they have grants. Yeah. They have, there's other ways to do it. Yeah, that's nice for him. Yeah. But you know, that, that could be the that could be the unifying theme for your book, your travel book. The naysayers. The naysayers. <laughs> well, I mean, we talk, actually, we talked about you have a your stage persona, but there's this other layer of who you are, and travel is a big part of it. Like travel is a big part of how you love life right now. Um, yeah. And if you write a travel book, obviously it's going to cap. It's going to have a lot of the comedy part, but it's also going to be a more earnest version of Ari, who is does return home tr transformed and has to figure out what the conflict is in the story. But what, what two of those things that those have in common is one, there's naysayers, sometimes yourself in the comedy career, and there's naysayers for travel too. There's, they'll throw out, just talk to your grandma or anyone who will give you a mi million reasons why not to travel or why it's selfish or whatever else. Yeah. Um, and in both situations, you're, your best happiness is on the other it's side. It's a small idea of like the way you'd put a quote before each thing. My uh -huh. quote will be a person in my life who's told me not to do something, and then a great story that, because yeah. like, like oh, dude, good. East Timor's dangerous. They've had an uprising not too long ago. <laughs> now, here's a Joe Rogan. Now, here's a great story about an awesome time <laughs> I had in East Timor. Did Rogan warn you off of it? <laughs> I told him, but I was like, he was like, that's too dangerous. I was like, do you know there's 560 murders there last year? He goes, yeah. that's crazy. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry, that was Chicago. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> well, that's it. Even, you know, Presumably, you know, Joe Rogan has a passport. He's been places, it, but he he got received information about yeah, East sure. Timor because that's how we all interpret my the world. Half, so it wasn't East Timor. My half brother in the army, captain okay. in the captain in the army, okay. said, "Do not go yeah, further yeah. east than Dili." Okay. And all my favorite adventures were further east than Dili. Yeah. Well, that's just like Middle Egypt. It's it's the place where the Islamic extremists are supposed to live. Is actually where Egy Egyptians were the least jaded, the most wow. open. You know. Because Egypt has had tourists for 5,000 years. They're, they sort of know their shtick. Yeah. But go to a part of Egypt where no tourists go at all, and it's like, it's like you're a celebrity all of a sudden. It's like, <laughs> oh, I thought these people only showed up in Cairo, but they're in our village, and let's give them some Whoa, sugar. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's, it's like, in fact, had I known how supposedly dangerous that part of Egypt was when Tom and I got out the boat and, and walked past the taxis, I probably said, okay. We gotta take a taxi, yeah. At the time, I was such a dirtbag, it was probably like $5 more, you know, $5 instead of $1 for a, a ride. Right. But at the time, it was just like, no way. And so suddenly we're walking into this, air quotes, dangerous place, which ended up being amazing. And not only were we excited to be there, but people were excited to see us because gringos, gosh, what's the, what's the, it's a, it's also Farang, I think, maybe in Egypt. It's been so long since I've been in that part of the world that they were just excited to see us, regardless of what the imam in the mosque, in the world's you know, shittiest mosque was, or the town's worst, most extreme mosque was saying. These two dudes were just sugarcane farmers. And it's like, this is the most exciting thing I've seen today. Wow. I'll go back into my affectation. Oh, you're going to roll another? Yeah. So, uh, just so you know this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ari is rolling smokes, which he doesn't usually do. <laughs> He's rolling tobacco smokes, not even like wacky weed cigarettes, with filters, or have you given up the filters? No, I'm doing the filters. Okay. Did find out what I was doing wrong. I've been smoking pipe tobacco this whole week. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was having so much trouble. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to Ari's upcoming comedy specials, as well as my new book, The Vagabond's Way, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Cedar Van Tassel, who also does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.